You're listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This is Eugene Hernandez, Deputy Director here at Film at Lincoln Center. Today we're sharing a conversation from our recent series, Veradas, A Generation of Brazilian Filmmakers, which puts a spotlight on the radical recent films from the country. Writer-director Karim Ainuz joined us for the New York premiere of his tropical melodrama Invisible Life, which is in theaters now. The winner of the Uncertain Regard Award at this year's Cannes Film Festival and Brazil's submission for this year's Oscars, it tells the tale of inseparable sisters in 1940s Rio de Janeiro. Let's go to the conversation now, moderated by Mary Jane Marcassiano from Cinema Tropical. Karim, thank you for this wonderful film and for being here tonight. Um, it's the first time that we've done this together, so... It's true. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Um, I just want to start going back in time to uh, 2002, to Madame Sata. And when I first saw that film, to me it was like a total sensory, you know, barrage, you know, incredible aesthetics, the color palette, um, all the details. Um, but I feel like um, this film has a lot of those aspects to it, and like the kind of richness and the over-the-top color. And um, if I just, if we could start talking about the aesthetics of the film. Yeah, I think it's my it's the first time I do another movie after Madame Satan's from 2002. It's my first feature film, and uh, it's the first time I do another film that takes place in the past. I think, yeah, it is the first time. Um, and it's interesting when you do that because there's a certain freedom of imagining the past, um, which is different than when you do a contemporary film. And um, so I think this is the first thing. And I think it was really interesting for me to also, I mean, on this film, I really was looking forward to do something which is excessive, like an excess, like a big gesture, and to experiment things I hadn't really experimented to that extent before, which is too much color, too much music, too much emotions, too much everything, you know? And, and, and I think for that reason, I think it, it, it is a cousin film to Madame Satin because Madame Satin is so much about a sense of explosion that the character has. I think it's, it's a different kind of explosion here, but I think I was very interested also. It was the first time I shot something on digital. I've always had the luck, or not the luck, but you know, just the fact that I always shot stuff on, on, on um, celluloid so th there was a few things here at stake and, and for me it was also I don't know it's um, it's my seventh film and I thought on this film it, was, it would also be important to be a bit imprecise I think when you make one film after the other there's a sense of you sort of you know narrowing your craft and you're doing things you know which have to do with you know precision and so on and here I just wanted to, to try things out and go to the limit of certain things so I think the sound, for example, was something that when we were mixing, I remember the mixer saying, oh, is this too loud? I said, yeah, just make it a bit louder, you know, and see where it goes. And, and so I'm not sure. I think there are moments that it works, moments that it doesn't work. But I think for me, it was an exercise of, it, it needs to be a constant exercise in freedom. And I think in the times we're living in, I mean, there is so much fear that I thought it would be interesting to, to just have a lot of everything. And I think the colors, but, but but also I think besides this, I think it was very important for me to do a film which is very sad, which is about a very sad story, but it's told in a sort of lush and seductive way. So the colors were there, the sound, the way that the actors are playing. So it was it was sort of this rich cake that I thought it would be interesting to talk, to, to use to talk about something that was, you know, quite sad. And by declaring it um, a melodrama, a tropical melodrama, I guess that yeah. gave, <laughs> that gave you some 
extra freedom. Yes, it was it was something that I've always dreamed to do, which is you know a heightened melodrama. It's something that I was growing up with in in Brazil in the seventies. There was a lot of it was the sort of the beginning of the soap operas, and I have to say that for many years I sort of resisted them, but you know. It is what I grew up with. And uh, in those early soap operas, they were quite interesting in the 1970s because they brought film directors along with theater actors. It was, you know, they were experimenting on how to translate the language of cinema, of radio into TV. So there was a lot there that for me was highly influential when I was growing up and that I somehow rejected. And I think now the soap operas, not now, but I think in the last 20 years they have become very washed down, but in the beginning, um, it was something that I had a very strong memory of, and, and when I began to make this film, melodrama seemed like a very interesting also place, not only to reference that, but also to talk about politics. You know, I think it's, it's for me, one of the most effective ways of being political in storytelling is, you know, by doing a melodrama. So that's, that was, on the, that was on, the, on the wish of making this film, and I think by entering that genre, I could also experiment with things that has that, that the genre has so much which is music a lot of music and a lot of um a lot of it is also to do with the way the film is done i think when i, I was actually thinking about it today the, the script itself it's it's very different than the tone the tone actually of the script in the film so i think this translation into melodrama in the mise-en-scene in the way that the film was manufactured also the genre also allowed me to play a lot with things that um, in other genres you might not be able to. I think it also gave um, the actors freedom. Um, yeah. I mean, in particular, um, Carol Duarte, I, yeah. I found her, she was a, such a physical yeah. performance, you know. No, absolutely. I think it was also important to me to talk about the past, but from a perspective which is today, so to to make a melodrama which is not, which is physical, you know, as the word that you said is like a physical sort of sensorial way of looking at the genre and also the performances. It was very important to us that uh, in the beginning we rehearsed certain scenes and we used dialogue, which was 1950s dialogue, and it seemed really stiff and distancing. And so there's also the fact that these are bodies from the 2010 that are playing, it's almost like they're playing a role from the past, you know, so I think that allowed us a lot of freedom as well. And the, it's the first time that the actresses did the film. So uh, Carol did a soap opera last year or two years ago, but they did a lot of theater, you know, they're very experienced, I mean, for their age, obviously, theater actors. So that also allowed us to be very playful in the way that they interpreted these characters, that they brought the characters to the screen and also how they kind of used the movie set as a place of discovery and of searching more than a place of executing something that was planned before. So they were very open to improvisation, they're very open to trying things out and to not trying to get it right, but to leave the characters at every shooting day. Yeah, it definitely retained that spontaneity. Um, I, I think both women were, were incredible. So um, you've been often called a feminist filmmaker. <laughs> for your portrayal of strong women characters in your films. And um, I guess the first film that, um, when I met you, was uh, Sayodi Sueli. Sueli, yeah. And, um, you know, it, the film is about, well, like this film, it's about um, women's uh, lack of power and how they can uh, reclaim their lives. Um, so maybe talk about that in, the, in this film. Yeah. 
I don't think I, I prefer to to think of the films that we're talking about as anti-patriarchal films or anti-macho films than feminist films. I think I feel more comfortable talking about them this way. I think this film for me is really a film against patriarchy and all the sort of poisonous effects of patriarchy. And I think on the other films, there were films with female characters and female protagonists particularly Sueli, then there was another movie I did called The Silver Cliff, and then I did a TV series as well with a female uh, protagonist. I think in on one hand, some of them, they were made in a moment where there were not many films made by women in Brazil, and there were not, almost no films with women as protagonists, so I was sort of using a place of privilege to be able to talk about and to have these characters. Um, so this one in particular, for me, it was very much it, it begins as a wish to make a, a portrait of a generation, which is a generation of my mother, which is a generation that I'm very familiar with, but I thought it really lacked space on the screen. So when I read the novel, it was very immediate the decision to to bring it on. So I think they are the common, you know, the common fact that many of the films have female protagonists, but I think they all exist for a different reason and at a different moment, you know. So they all have a different role in what they're made, and and I think this one in particular. Um, it was for me sort of a cycle. I'd like to think of it like that. My first short film was in 1991. It was a film that I actually made when I was living here. And it was made um, as a documentary, but also as an experimental film about my grandmother. And, and, and this, this film was actually a possibility of somehow, I don't know if closing that cycle, but coming around you know, that cycle and making a film about another generation, which is generation after my grandmother, which is my, my mother. So yeah, there are many films that I've made. I mean, some of the films that I made that have many protagonists, but I think I would prefer to, to think of them as, as different films and also films that are told from a male perspective. I think it's also important to, to, to make that clear, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, as we're in this, the time that we find ourselves in, and you know, issues of race, class, and power are yeah. still um, predominant and still troublesome to, to many people. Um, what's interesting is how, um, the, the portrayal of class in, in right. this film. Right. This is something that's always been very crucial. Perhaps this is common to all the films, which is the fact of belonging to a certain class or not being able to belong to a certain class. And I think on this film, there was something for me that was very important, which is it's at the center of this, the plot, which is, you know, it is a portrait of Rio as well, and it's also a portrait of Rio as a city which is completely segregated in a certain sense, not in a certain sense, which is truly segregated. And, um, and I think for me it was very important that these two sisters somehow live in the same city, but they don't, they will never meet because there are places in the city that you can never you know, interchange. Of course you can, you know, on a, on a very concrete level, but I think it was very important for me to talk about these two different spaces in relationship to class and how one will never cross the other. And I think I think I miss a lot uh, talking about class when we talk about Brazil, actually. Yeah, it's interesting for me because um, uh, Gida, even though she, she, by the nature of her unwanted pregnancy and her expulsion from her, she drops down to a lower class. But yet she, in some ways, has more freedom because she's living her life without the oppression of, I mean, she's got 
you know, yeah. a, a economic oppression, but she doesn't have yeah. the oppression of, of, of the, the, the patriarch. Yeah. I think the character of Gide for me was very important as a counterpoint of Eurydice, obviously because of what's in the screen, but I think it was also very important for me also to say that for her to be free meant also to go illegal, to go underground, you know? It was almost like for her to exercise what she needed to live, which is her freedom, how to, to raise his, her, her son and how to somehow build a new family could only happen um, if that was done illegally, that there was no space for that life to exist under the umbrella of no legality. And that's, that's for me was the idea when we actually thinking about who she leaves the house for, how does she inherit this place, and how she transforms this place into something else. So um, I think, yes, I think she did manage, but to a high extent, at, a, at, at which price? Um, and I think I was also very much interested in talking about the generosity of the character of Philomena as well, and how that character sort of embraced her. But, but also always thinking of class and always thinking of how their existence could only, you know, be if it was done outside of the law. Um, I, you know, I found it. I had never seen really a portrayal of recent Portuguese immigrants in Brazil, and it was a very intense Portuguese family. And you had the sense that, like many immigrant families, that um, you know, the survival of the family um, was more important than. Um, you know the happiness of their. I mean, they yeah. they, they wanted yeah. their children yeah. to have a better life, but at the same time, they had there was a lot of conditions. Um. Yes, it was very important to me, and I think this film, it's based on a novel, but it's also I can't really help but bring very personal um, experiences to the story. So, I think the novel tells the story of a Portuguese family that's migrating to Brazil, and I've always felt also that. I've always wanted to have a story where we actually assume that we're a country of migration, you know, that we're not a country that has been there since the Portuguese colonizers. And so the idea of having a Portuguese family, of course it was coming from the novel, but I think I really wanted to, to make sure as well that a lot of what the women go through and daughters go through and what the father does, it's also related to the pressure um, of first-generation migration. I mean, I come also from, I'm half Brazilian, half Algerian, and, my, and I've lived a lot of that with my family uh, coming out of Algeria. And I really wanted to express this in this film as also a way of looking at the constitution of Brazilian society and also that a lot of the pressures of patriarchy do come from the fact that this family is a first-generation immig immigrant family. And that upon women, I think that's even harder, you know, like the role we have to perform and the piano is there for a reason as well, you know, it's the sort of way of ascending socially. So th th it, was, it was for me very important to, for the story, but I think it was also very important as a portrait of Brazil at that moment to, to talk about migration, you know, and not to, 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 to seem that it's, an, it's, it's always been like that, that it's a country that's constantly, you know, a country of migration. So um, would this be a good time to ask you about your new project? A new project, <laughs> yes. I prefer to talk about the projects that I'm doing than about the new ones. I always think it's bad luck because oh, okay. you never shoot them when you talk about them. But, but I've just shot a project and I was doing this film, um, which is about, um, you know, with what's happening in the world and what's happening in Brazil, I've been looking a lot to places where I can 
somehow look at the history of certain places and find some hope, you know? So um, I just shot, I actually shot two films. I was in Algeria for the first time this year. I had never been there. And my father was very much close to the, to the liberation war that took place between 54 and 62. So I really went there to trace, you know, the history post 62, you know, when Algeria became independent of France. And what was this city? I mean, it's a film about Alger, but it's also about the places that, the village that he comes from, which is in the northern Algeria. So it's a very autobiographical film where I try to trace the history of revolution as a way to to find some hope, you know, in in the face of what we are going through. And, and I discovered a lot of things about, you know, the 1960s post-revolutionary years in a country that was really reinventing itself from zero. And at the same time, as I was shooting that, I was also shooting by accident. I arrived in Algiers in February. And since February 22nd, that has been since, since then, every Friday, there is people going out in the streets to reclaim the end of a regime which was the same regime that had actually brought the country's independence. So I did, I went to do one movie and I arrived there, I actually was kidnapped to do another movie, uh, which was somehow following one of the activists that were in the middle of this new uprising that's there um, during a whole day, which I shot it on Women's Day, which was March 8th. So these are the two projects I'm working on. I'm very, I'm very excited about the one that I was shot by accident because I think it is, thinking about it now, you know, thinking that we shot this in March and that we are in December, and the amount of uprisings that have happened around the world made me feel very fortunate that I was actually going back to a homeland that I didn't know for the first time, but I was actually encountering this, this um, unrest, which was also very inspiring compared to the lack of unrest that I find that there is in Brazil now regarding this government that was elected last year. So these are the two projects I've been editing. But um, yeah, and then the other the ones that I'm doing next year, but that's... Yeah, I didn't watch any reveal, and <laughs> just, the, just the, the, the current ones. Yeah. But um, so speaking of resistance and um, what, uh, you know, we were talking a little earlier tonight about the, the role of art um, in social change and... Yeah. Could you share some of your opinions on Yes, that? I think we don't have a choice, and that's good we don't have a choice. I think I'm not talking only about the Brazilian context, but, you know, Latin America, when you think of what's happening there now. But I think this is something that's always been present. I think now it's more urgent, and it's more... Yeah, it's just really urgent, and it's really serious what's happening. I think it's impossible to not, you know, talk about it when you're doing any kind of culture production, particularly telling stories. But I think that um, it's something that's been present throughout my life, you know, and throughout the time I've been making films. I think it's, if you don't come from a privileged place in the world, I think making films and telling stories, and it's also a place of resistance. It, it cannot be, it can only be a place of resistance and a place of critique and a place of reimagining what the world could be. So I think this has always been present in my work, but I think that, um, in the last three years, it's almost like every day that needs, you need to be reminded of it. And I think in one hand, it has made, I'm not saying that it's better to make films in the moment of repression, in the moment of um, you know, hardships as we're living in, in, in the world today, but I think it's also, I think it's allowing a lot of work that's been done to be of, an, of a different voltage, you know? I think it's really, 
important that we resist. Um, and I think this gives a voltage to the work, which is really sort of interesting as well. Yeah, when uh, Fabio and I um, worked on the programming of the series, it was prior to a lot of the things that are going on right now. Yeah. And um, for us, the, the work took on a completely different context post, you know, like when we were making decisions, aesthetic decisions, or, you know, um, uh, and, and then our decisions became political without, <laughs> without us even realizing it. Yeah. But I, I feel like the Brazilian films, there's always, you know, the, the humanity of, of the stories is something that's, that's drawn me to the Brazilian films. And um, after the other night's Q&A for In the Heart of the World, um, uh, one of the audience members said that the film helped them find a, a soft spot within the hard, the hard rock of the world right now. And so I think that a lot of the role that art can play in cinema is finding, at least showing the humanity, finding like, you know, reaffirming our humanity. Yeah, I think it's that, and it's also a place to express a certain rage. I think it's important to talk about rage these days. I think we sort of avoid the subject, but I think um, it's not the case of this film in particular, but I think it's also very important to be able to articulate. I'm not talking about hate, which is very different than rage, but I think there's an energy that situations like that um, make you feel, you know, that, that they put you in a situation that you make you feel certain things. And I think it's very interesting how you deal with rage, for example, and how that can somehow contaminate the work that you're doing, the stories that you're telling. Um, and I think it can sort of leak into the audience in a way that it can be um, necessary that we do it these days, you know. And, and, um, and I think it's a strange feeling. It's a feeling that I didn't think I would feel again, you know. But I think thinking back, I think actually the moments that I haven't felt it, they are small hiatus in the history of Brazilian politics and Latin American politics. It's very strange. I was arriving. I just came back from um, Havana yesterday. I was there at the Havana. The, the Festival of New Latin American Cinema. Um, and it is just um, incredible when you sit down with a bunch of Latin American filmmakers now, that it is, I think it's almost like we're living Operation Condor 2.0, you know? It's, it's just shocking, but without the guns, you know, with different kinds of guns and with the legitimacy of, of pretentious democracy. So it's also very interesting to be making work at this time and to think about you know what it is that's what it is that's turning that continent upside down again you know I think it's time to, should we take some questions yeah <laughs> <laughs> hi uh, first it's such an honor to be here this was amazing I'm really really very happy to be here and congratulations you were saying that uh, it's a melodrama, right? That you called the story a melodrama, but my impression was actually that it's not a melodrama, and I wanted to talk to you about it because I feel like the script is so uh, obviously tragic. It's such a heartbreaking tragedy, but I, my impression was that another director maybe would have taken the same script and made it very dramatic, very melodramatic. And I, you chose not to have a single moment of tears in the film, right? I, like there were many moments that people were in the verge of tears, but they would either laugh, sometimes they would, be, they would, they would go in a completely different direction, or yeah. you would cut yeah. to the next scene. 
Um, and I thought that was so interesting. And I personally only cried watching at the very end. Yeah. And I think, but it wasn't like I wasn't completely taken by it the whole time. I was just, it was more like, I, I felt like you chose to make it grotesque instead of uh, tragic. Right. And I was just disgusted by it until the end. It was just disgusting. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted, I wanted to ask you actually if like when working with the actors, if you were uh, directing them to go on the opposite um, emotion uh, that would be the obvious one with the text because yeah. Yeah. No, good question. Um, yes, I, th I disagree, but we can talk about that later. I think it's a melodrama. Uh, but I think it's a melodrama, and, and I'll tell you why. I think it was very important to me that the tears are not here, but they're there, you know? And I think it was very important to me that the tears are not coming out. I mean, there's, there's a few things that I wanted really to make sure that we did on this film. And, and first of all, I think it was very important to make a melodrama, which is to work in that genre from a contemporary perspective, you know? So, uh, maybe it's not a melodrama in, in, in the sense of how one would think about it because it's funny when you think of this genre, you think of 1950s or you think of 1940s American cinema and actually it's a very much older genre than that and it begins, you know, after the, the, the French Revolution and it talks about, you know, bourgeois or middle class or lower middle class drama. So having said that, for me it was very important that this was not a film but how do you how do you how do you how do you reinvent the genre? Reinvent is a bit pretentious, but how do you revisit the genre, right? So for me, it was very important that the, the the women didn't cry. You know, I think it was very important that they were very strong, and that they resisted at any price. So it was very important to me that that we talk about resilience more than we talk about victimization or the tragedy of life, because I think they were fighting all the time to achieve their dreams, even when that was kind of impossible. They were still doing that. So. Um, but I think it's not that productive to discuss if it is or if it's not. I think what I think is productive to me is that, yes, I was very much interested in subtext than I was interested in text. And I think a lot of the ways that we think about melodrama is through sort of a very obvious, you know, interpretation of text. So, for example, when I think of Almodovar, I think it's a melodrama with a satirical, you know, vein to it. And I think here what I was really interested in is in a melodrama with a very physical, um, element to it. So I think um, it is disgusting, but I don't think the film is disgusting. I think what the reality that the film is portraying is disgusting. Um, and it is kind of aches to see it, but I think it's very important to see it. Hence the title of the film. You know, I think these are stories that are very invisible that I, th I really wanted it to be visible on a very intimate level, in the level of sort of the space of the family. Um, and, uh, and, and, and when you say that they're not crying there yet, they're not. But I think for me, I'm not sure if you cried or not, but beyond that, for me, I think what's really important is that this film is about these two women. One of them is named Gida. The other one is named Eurydice. And they're very specific. They're very singular. It's the story of these two characters. But what I think it's really wonderful about the genre is that it allows you to experience what they experience and to somehow and I don't know if this is gonna be the case or not, but you know, the hopes as one does a film like this is that it takes that you take it home and that it makes you in one hand perhaps tell stories that you haven't told yet about your experience as a woman in society, or also just to think about I mean one thing in this film that was very important to me is that I think the women in the film 
they are very different than women now. You know, I think that what they've been through is very different than what women are going through now, independent of where we're talking about. Um, I'm not saying that there's not things to be achieved. I think there's tons of things to be achieved. But I think the men are not that different. You know, I think that the men that are in the film, they're very similar. They could be 1950s, they could be now, you know. And so for me, those are the things that I was super interested in talking about, but not, but not in talking about it, but in make you sense it in a way which is from a different place, you know. I don't know if it's from your heart, from your liver, from your stomach, but, you know, from somewhere which is not here. I don't know if I answered your question. You but, did, um, thank you. Hello. Hi. Uh, in this scene uh, where Eurydice is uh, in the piano exam and uh, she dreams of this uh, fantasy with her sister. Yes. Why did you choose to have her be in a bright dress? I don't know. What happened was, <laughs> let me tell you, there's a lot of things we don't know, but it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's an interesting question for the following reason. That is a scene that we shot before the movie started. You know, I normally go to the set and I try out my crew for one day, like a week or two weeks before the movie starts. The, pre the principal photography starts and, and we went to the set, you know, and we tried out, you know, you see that the, the dress that she's wearing is not the same dress that she's wearing, you know, in the film as a bride. We're trying out wardrobe, we're trying out, you know, the location, we're trying out the camera. I had never shot with the GOP, so it was like a warm up day and then we shot that scene and it was just breathtaking when I watched it, you know? So time went by, we did the proper shooting, and then we, sh we edited that scene. And my editor is great, you know, but what's great about it is like we're kind, kind of complimentary. She's very precise, and I make an effort to not be, I'm just not that precise, and I've, I'm happy with that. So there was this friction, constant, which is a beautiful friction between me and her. So we edited that scene, you know, and there was like, she was in the beach and it looked really beautiful. And I said, this looks too beautiful. There's something about this scene. And then I, I somehow could not finish this film without having that material that we shot before the shoot started. Somehow that material for me, there was, a, there was something there which was incredibly alive with these two women. They didn't know each other yet. It was the first time they were on the set together. I mean, they knew each other, you know, but they hadn't really been on the set together. And I just cut it in. I just thought it would be, it. I don't know why. I mean, it's these things that sometimes during the moments you tell a story, I think it's great to know some things. But for example, just to give you another example, there were no letters on the script. You know, these letters, they came on after we shot the film. So there are things you, it's about intuition and it's about a certain, you know, when you compose music, I've never composed music myself, but I imagine there are moments that when you compose music and then you play, then the instrument, you know, the chords are broken or something happens. And, and, um, and so when we're editing, I thought I need to have that moment in the film. And then somehow it felt to me right to have that moment in the moment that she's playing because in one hand maybe she's thinking about her sister, but because on the other hand there's a sense of joy in those shots that I think translated very much the way that she was feeling when she was playing the piano. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moments in this film which is things that you find out when you, you know, it's trial and error, you know, like you try something. Again, I think it's like playing an instrument, you know, maybe you think there is one note which is at this moment and then all of a sudden, you know, your hands go a little, faster and then something else happens. That's what happened with that scene. And I also thought 
um, when we were editing that it would be crazy uh, to not have a steal of the film which was from that scene. So I said, let's try it here, you know, and I'm not sure if it works or not, but I mean, at the time it did work for me. There's a sense of, you know, anarchy in that scene that I really love. Uh, hi, uh, you sort of touched on it before. Can you go into the music in this film? The music? Yeah, like the process of... Yeah. Listen, I've always hated music in film. I, I've always loved uh, songs in film. Um, I've always felt that music, and especially when you look at sort of studio film, studio movies, music, there's a constant sense of manipulation, you know? Like that you're feeling like you're brought here with music and you made you feel that with music. So for the, all the other films I've done, there is... But, you know, every film I do, there is a bit more music in every film, you know? So I think on this film, I just said, you know, I'm just going to let my hair down, you know, and, and, and try things I haven't tried. And I felt like there was something very prude about the way I dealt with music in other films. And I felt when you talk about melodrama, mellow means music, you know? So I thought this is the place for me to, to experiment, you know, and see how far can I go with music. And, uh, and maybe it's excessive, I'm not sure. I mean, there was already the fact that she plays the piano, but to be very honest with you, I really don't like piano. I think that piano is something that it's not, it's not my favorite instrument. But, you know, you know, it made sense that she was a pianist. It made sense because of class, you know, this immigrant family, piano was this way of, you know, you know achieving something of a different class. So I think piano made sense in the sense of storytelling, but... I met the composer and the composer said, you know, how do we do? We have to do something that matches the piano. I said, no, let's do something completely different. Let's try other instruments and let's see if this film needs any more music than the piano, you know? So it was also something like the shot I just described before. Like we're just trying things out. And I think for me, I mean, I'm, sure how, I'm not sure how much we got of that, but it was very much about let's, you know, let's try one instrument and then let's try this other harmony. And the composer is a good friend of mine. And what we did, we sat down, we got the whole film going, and I played the piano, you know, throughout the music, the moments that there were not piano, and I have never touched the piano in my life. But, you know, it was just to give him a sense of melody and of, and of um, I don't know, again, of tone. And then he came back and he composed some music for the moments that I was, like, stuck in my hands, you know, into the piano to to indicate where there was music in the film. So we just tried things out. And and for me, I'm not sure. I think there are moments that maybe I'm manipulating you with the music, and I think there are moments that it's just, it's just needed, you know? So for example, one clear example is, so again, it's experiment, you know? I think this film for me was, ultimately, when we talk about this film, Madame Satan, it's, it's, it's an exercise. It needs to be an exercise in freedom, and I think this one is really an exercise in freedom within the parameters of a classic story. So the music, for example, when they almost meet in the restaurant, I mean, it's just, it, it, it just seems like that material needed music not to enhance anything, but just to be complete, you know? So music here comes in the sense also of how to, to tell a story, but again, not telling a story by telling you a story, but making you sense a story, and I think music, was very much part of it, you know, but, but, but music and sound, I think, I, think, I think of it as sort of a, you know, a sound landscape that sometimes has to do with harmony. And it was very interesting, there were moments where the sound effects were actually proposed by the, the composer. So there's a scene when she's being examined by the gynecologist, and that is um, something that comp the composer did, not the sound designer. So, 
you know, it was, again, very intuitive sensation that the film needed harmony, that it needed instruments that were not the piano, and how do you bring it on in a way that um, touches you, you know? You guys were talking about how Gida, you know, is like aiming to be free and like a really strong woman, but at the same time, her life is driven by men. It's driven by Yorgos, driven by her father, driven by the men who she constantly is looking for validation. So I would like you to comment on that, you know, duality and complexity yeah. of that character. I think that it was on two page two. I don't think that at some point it is about that. I think it's about um, living a life independently. I think it's about, I don't think she's looking for validation after a certain moment of the story. I mean, I think that she did when she, well, I think she's looking for the validation of her father. I'm not sure if she's looking for the validation of Yorgos. I think she was in love with him and then she ran away. And then I think she was more looking for constructing. I think if you talk about what she was really looking for at some point, I think she is looking for pleasure. But I think she's also looking to sort of, you know, somehow have a family that includes Philomena, that includes, you know, I think that she is somehow you know, she, she, she's also a working woman, which in that time was very rare. So I'm not sure if she's looking for validation. I wonder why you thought so. I think there's a very specific scene where she has a conversation with Philomena yeah. on like yeah. enjoying herself and just being fulfilled by herself. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting to bring to the movie because I thought yeah. like we didn't need maybe that kind of explanation yeah. about her, but because you brought it, yeah. I was like, ah, oh, should we consider this, you know, like yeah. almost almost like a flaw or something really driven by the character at that time. Yeah. You know, due to the patriarchy and the men yeah. and the importance of men to women at the time. It's really, it's really interesting. You know, that scene, that's how much this film for me was a process of being very attentive to what's happening in front of you when you're shooting something. It was not in the script. And there was a moment that I thought, it, this is so, it, it was not in the script, you know, and there's a technical thing that's for you, it's not that interesting. Before we shot, there was like two or three days of shooting that were taken out of the shooting schedule. In those days, I was really wanting to have them in Philomena's house and to just sort of document, you know, a daily life between those two women and that family. And it really lacked, you know, and then we did a rehearsal and that scene was something that came out in the rehearsal. It was actually, it, we did a rehearsal the day before of one of the scenes and they did that improvisation and I really loved it and I thought it was really important to have, you know, that moment where, um, yes, she is looking perhaps for another man and for love or for a boyfriend and there's this older woman that, you know, actually is telling her that, you know, she doesn't need to be dependent on it. So I think until, when, that's when I say until page two, I think until then probably it was, but I think that through that scene it was very clear to me that it was a scene that we needed to have in the film to be able to break that pattern, you know. Yes, somebody in the back. You see, I'm a little bit like a radio, no? So I can non-stop talking, but I promise I'll reframe myself, I'll restrain myself a bit. Yes. Hi. Hi. Um, you said something about the letters not being in the script? Yeah. But they were so amazing. I know, and the... <laughs> Well, listen to this, we're editing the film, right? And then, um, again, you know, it's again the same thing with the music, you know? And, and that's why I think this genre and me, like, we're super close, you know? Because this genre allows me to play with so many elements. 
So we had it in the film, right? And then, um, you know, I thought, no, we can't have letters. You know, it's already too much. It's too, it's too protagonist. You know, we go back and forth, like. And then, and I said, no, let, let me just get this right. I think the letters were in the script, but then I decided to edit without the letters because I thought it was too much. This film was a constant exercise. Is this too much? And then I said, yeah, it's too much. So what? You know. So. Well, the letters were like, I think they were in the script, they were editing the film, and I was like, oh, this is too much, let's do the whole film without letters. And it, it actually worked, you know, like we did the whole film without the letters. And, uh, but then one day I just said, you know, I said, Lo, you know, I'm going to record Gida reading one letter. And the moment that she did it, and I put it on the cut, you know, it just felt like a different film. It just felt that we were so close to her. And then we started to write, I mean, I didn't write any of the letters, but the writers that did it, I'm not very talented in writing letters, but the writers wrote the letters. There was a woman writer from Uruguay, and there was a male writer from Brazil, and they proposed the letters, and I had Gida recorded them, and then I had also letters from Eurydice to Gida, and I recorded those letters. Um, and then it seemed a bit too much, you know, but the way that Gida read the letters, they were so, so, it was just so incredibly warm and so, it really allowed me another dimension to her character that I think just, because you know, Gida's story is just so physical and it's so exterior, you know, and the, the, the dramatic questions is just so there. And the Eurydice is the contrary, you know, like her whole life is through silence. The way she speaks is through silence and through music. So I think it was really important, and I understood this when I got the first letter recorded, that it was very important to have the letters read. And that would be a dramatic beat throughout the film. And so, and for Gita, it seemed like... It's hard to imagine without it, right? Right, and she, I know. Th these were her aspirations almost, yeah. for not only for her sister, but for herself. Completely. No, it was. it's these things that, you know, when you do it, you don't think you need it, but after you do it, then they somehow, there's a sparkle there. It, it's just hard to imagine how could I ever have imagined this film without these letters, you know? But again, it was through experimenting that we actually found that this, and there's a moment, particularly in the film, when she says, I think it's one letter when she says, I, I, I could see you. It's like when she's talking about her and she said that she says music coming out of her eyes. And that's for me when I understood that these letters are really necessary, not only to tell the story, but to also be close to this character and to the longing of this character. You know, this film is so much about longing for someone that you think you're gonna meet. And letters are so much about the hope that you're going to meet someone that it made. Now it seems very articulate to talk about it, right? But when I was doing it, it was very intuitive the way we brought the letters in. Hi, I, I love the movie, but at the same time, I, all the, during the screening, I was asking myself, why people is sweating so much during the movie? <laughs> is there any meaning? The sweating, okay. Yeah. I'll tell you why. I mean, uh, talking about melodrama, you know, I was always afraid of making a film that was a melodrama and that seemed generic. Because this is such, you know, every genre has become an American genre, right? So Western, and, and I think it was, it was so important that this film, that when you watch this film, you understand that it could only take place in one place in the world. That when you watch this film, it's only about these two very specific characters whose name I've said before. And I think it was, you know, the sweating was just part of, you know, a series of things that I thought was important to tell that that story took place in that city, in that time, 
Um, and so it, it seemed to me that it was necessary and it, it, it really didn't make sense without it. You know, when we started shooting for me, it made sense that they spoke loudly, that they were sweating all the time, you know, that they were screaming at each other, things that we somehow live with, but, you know, somehow I felt... And, and I think it was very important to talk about... Um, again, I think it's very important that this film is physical, and I, and I keep repeating this because I think the this experience of women and, and the, the physicality of that experience is so important for that experience. And I think, you know, things come along with that. And I think the sweating and using underwear at home and private life, I think all of that was very important to create, you know, a certain universe, which is the universe of, the, of that story. It doesn't make any sense to make a film in Rio where people are not sweating. <laughs> you know? <laughs> It's more like that, you know, it just seemed absolutely absurd, you know, and it's really crazy because it is sometimes a little cold, you know, like in Rio, like this film is shot in June and the, the whole film, like the city is completely cloudy. So this whole idea of tropics and of, you know, exuberance, but, you know, people do sweat, you know, so it didn't make any sense for me to make a film where, you know, this is where the film takes place and people are just breezy and... You know, it's it, it can be a little chilly in the winter, but you know, it can be chilly up to like 20 degrees, you know, so it was very important. It didn't make sense otherwise. Let's just say it like that. All right, so thank you very much for tonight. Um, the film is coming out in theaters um, on the 20th of this month. Uh, which is great. It's like I can't quite believe it. You know, it's great that Amazon is releasing it in theaters as well. And uh, yeah, thank you for tonight. It's a pleasure. And um, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Film at Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City and supported by individuals just like you. For 50 years, we've been dedicated to supporting the art and elevating the craft of cinema and enriching film culture through the programming of festivals, series, retrospectives, and new releases, the publication of Film Comment, the presentation of podcasts, talks, and special events, the creation and implementation of artist initiatives, and our film and education curriculum and screenings. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C dot org.